Thank you so much, team. Should we show our appreciation to our worship team if you're in the house, if you're online? Isn't it so good to see them all back together again and not dotted around the building? So good. Thank you so much, team. Now, I wonder if we can just pray before we start. Obviously, it's always a good thing to pray, but I just felt such a sense of the Holy Spirit as I was sitting there um, just before the meeting. And then as we were worshipping, I just felt this impression of the Holy Spirit on my life. And, and God, we know, Lord Jesus, that you were here way before we were. We know, Lord Jesus, that you were in this room. You were on the online internet waves far before we were, Lord Jesus. And we just pray as we move into our service today, God, that you would speak. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak through me. We pray, Lord, that everything I say, if it isn't of you, God, we let it just be forgotten and blown away in the wind. But anything, Lord Jesus, that is of you, we pray, Lord, it finds good soil. Amen. And Lord, we pray that we can put it into action, into our lives and into our spirits, and we will be changed and conformed more and more into your likeness. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to start a new uh, mini-series today simply called The Home of the Heart. And I wonder if you, like me, have ever been to someone's house. Maybe you've met them and you've started to develop a relationship. You've done the Costa thing. You've done the Starbucks thing. Maybe you've even gone out to a restaurant. And now your relationship takes to the next level and you invite them around to your house or indeed you get invited around to their house. Now, obviously, as part of my work as a pastor, I get to go into people's house, obviously far more in non-COVID times than in COVID times. But I'm continually fascinated as I go around to someone's house, as I've started to get to know them and learned a little bit about their experience, their life, their journey and their hopes and dreams. So much of their attitude, their character and their personality is displayed in how they decorate their house. The colours of their walls say something about their vibrancy, their soft furnishes. You think, actually, when I think of Lars or Vic or Robin, I can see that. You look at Robin's shirts and they're probably reflected in his sofas. Because our houses, and thankfully it's not an Arsenal shirt today, so well done, Robin. But so often, our personalities and our character are reflected in our homes. Have you seen that? Have you ever noticed that? And I was reading just in my Bible a few weeks ago an account that I've come across many times before, and I've preached from it, but I just felt such an impression to sit with a few verses. And of course, we know that home is where the heart is, but I want to take some time today to speak about the home of the heart, the home of the heart. To do that, we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn there. I'm only going to be looking at two verses predominantly today, and we'll expand it a little bit next week. And if you haven't got a Bible, don't worry, we have our very own Sky Bible behind me, so you can turn your attention there. But let me just set up the, the context and what's happening. Elisha is wandering around the Judean desert and Jerusalem and Israel at this time. Now, Elisha is what we call a prophet. A prophet is someone who is literally the earthly mouthpiece for God. So Elisha, what he is speaking is directly from the heart of the Father. There is no one at this time who is closer in relationship to God on earth than Elisha. And not only does he speak the words of God, he demonstrates the power of God, so much so that dead people live. Things start to happen when Elisha is about because Elisha is close to God. Now, Elisha is a wandering prophet. He doesn't stay long in one place for very long. And he comes to this place called Shunem. And this is where we pick up our scriptures today. 
So one day, Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do, that means a wealthy or rich woman, was there. Who, look at this language, she urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. Verse 9, and she said to her husband, so you see there's no ulterior motive, even if Elisha was good-looking, she has a husband. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay whenever he comes to us. Now for me, as I get into my Bible, I find that God predominantly speaks to me through his word. Some people, particularly if you've got the gift of prophecy, uh, you will find that you, you hear God maybe through visions or dreams. Some people even have the amazing experience of hearing regularly from God audibly. But for me, my predominant way that I connect with God and I feel and hear him speak to me is through his word. It's not called the living word by mistake. The word shapes us and it forms us and it speaks to us. And as I said, it was a few weeks ago, as I was sitting in these scriptures, that I really felt God speak to me just about these two verses. And what I felt him say to me is, Mike, you see Elisha here is urged to stay at this woman's house, to come in, to eat with them, to fellowship with them, to stay with them. He had unlimited access to this woman's house. You notice the words that I've highlighted, whenever he came by, and he often came by. Now, this sounds really, really holy and godly, but practically, this must have been an absolute nightmare. And as a pastor, I know this as well. Becky and I, we've been pastoring now for nine, ten years in a few different churches. And oftentimes, we would regularly have people round to our house and give them an anytime pass, usually in the heat of a moment when we get on with someone. We say, look, you can stop by any time. Now, when you have three kids, that changes the dynamic slightly because everything just gets a little bit hassled and frazzled. And of course, I'm metaphorically speaking here. This is only an illustration because Becky and I never, ever argue or never, never, ever disagree about anything. But you will find when you give someone a whenever pass, they take it to mean that it's a whenever pass. And usually the people stop by at the most inconvenient times. Now, in our house, that looks like nappies hanging off chandeliers. It looks like naked children running around feral. It looks like Becky and me looking frazzled. It looks like just after dinner time when Ida's thrown her spaghetti bolognese up the wall. And whenever pass is nice in the moment, but practically it is an absolute nightmare. Now you see, Elisha has this whenever pass from this well-to-do woman. We don't know her name, but her and her husband are amazing because whenever Elisha stopped by, which was often, he was welcomed in with open arms. And now when I read this, I felt God say to me, Mike, do you give me that access to the home of your heart? And that's the question I want to sit on for two weeks. I want to ask you, church, how much access does God have to the home of your heart? Now, of course, I'm not speaking about the fish-shaped organ just left to the centre of your chest, the thing that pumps blood around your heart. I'm talking about that amalgamation of emotion and character. I'm talking about that thing that makes you, you, that internal part of us. And if we're Christians and we're Jesus followers, we also believe that that's the eternal part of us. I'm talking about our soul, our spirit. How much access do we give God to ourselves? Now, of course, those of us who are good Christians, we will instantly say all of it, all of it. I would say all of it, but as I have looked at my life, even as a pastor, a full-time paid worker in the Christian ministry, sometimes that whenever passes revoked. 
Sometimes that past, I say, God, you are allowed areas uh, into my life that no one is allowed into. You are allowed to touch and speak into and change and develop anything. Sometimes I get a little bit haughty with that. And instead of flinging open the door wide, I put the bolt on very quickly. So how much access does God have to the home of your heart? Let's speak about this metaphorically. We're going to open the front door. And over the next two weeks, I want to go into four rooms into the home of our hearts and look at what that means for our spirits and ask ourselves, is God allowed here? Now, the first one, depending on how posh you are, is called the living room. Or if you're not very posh like me, I call it the lounge. The living room or the lounge. Now, the living room or the lounge of our heart is that front-facing part of our lives. When you develop relationships with people and you're in church, maybe you've known people for 15, 20 years in church and you have that cursory hello, you know what each other do for a living, you know each other's families a little bit, but there's always that that barrier that is never crossed. This is the lounge of the home of our heart. If our Facebook profiles lived in the flesh, the lounge is the Facebook profile of our life. Now, it's really, really helpful to have a lounge in our life because it protects us. The lounge in the home of the heart is close to the front door. So people don't have to come far into your life to get to the lounge and there's still that measure of protection. And it also gives the lounge of our heart a well-constructed impression of ourselves. As I said, oftentimes people have stopped by Becky in my houses and as they are at the front door, we are doing a whiz around we're looking at the Olympics at the minute. I promise you there's instances I could have won the 100 metre dash when people are standing at my front door because everything is kicked and thrown, including the children into different rooms of the house and the doors are shut. We drag chairs and armchairs in front of doors to block off access. We can make the lounge look however we want it to look. We can make it look pleasing. We can even have cream walls in the lounge because we only allow certain activities in there. Do you know what I'm saying? The lounge is our front, it's our mask, it's what we want people to see. And obviously, when we're exploring relationship with God, the lounge is a really safe place to do that. We allow God to come into our lives just a little bit and to talk to us and get to know us. When you come over to mine and Becky's house for the first time, usually it'll be for a coffee and we'll sit in the lounge because we're exploring a relationship together. We're getting to know each other. We're we're asking, what does your family do? What do you do for a living? Tell us about your children. It's It's soft, it's comfortable, there's candles and there's no children. We just shut the doors and we contain it. And this is exactly what it looks like in the lounge of the heart. And as I said, this is absolutely fine as we're exploring that relationship with God and we're starting to explore what it means to live this life of faith. But the problem is when we are exploring for too long and we keep God in that place, God wants to get to know us a little bit more. But we, as I said, we pull an armchair in front of the door. Well, no, God, you're not allowed in that room, just stay here. Oh, no, God, don't go over there. Just stay here. It's comfortable here. It's, it's safe here. Now, why do we do that? Why do we keep God in the lounge? I'm sure there's a myriad of different reasons and options why we do that. But for time's sake, I want to look at two of the predominant, predominant ways I believe we keep God in the lounge. And the first reason I think we keep God in the lounge is because of commitment issues. Commitment issues. Now, I believe we have a lot of commitment issues in the 21st century because to a 21st century ear, commitment sounds like this. It sounds like more time. It sounds like more effort. It sounds like more energy, more resource. And the biggest one, when we're called to follow Jesus, it requires change. Paul doesn't say when we come to Christ in 2 Corinthians 5.17, we're a new creation because we don't have to change. 
you soon find as you go deeper into relationship with God, he starts to impress things in your life that you need to change. Why? For your good. However, we don't like change. And 21st century ears hear commitment and we get scared. This is demonstrated every night at the minute at 9 o'clock on ITV2. And I'm sure there's some fans of Love Island in the room. I won't look at anyone in, in particular. You don't have to admit that in church, it's fine. But Love Island, it's this, this program everyone moans about, but I think secretly love. Because what Love Island does, it shows people who say they want commitment, who say they want love, but they don't want commitment and love. They just want the benefits of what comes from commitment and love. You see, we live in a world that wants benefits before commitment. And I believe it's really, really, really easy for this to slip into our faith. We want everything now. There's a reason why last year, 2020, in the UK, UK personal debt was £2.1 trillion. That works out to £38,000 of debt per person. Why do we get in such a state? Because we want everything now without having to work for it, without having to graph for it. We can just pull it on a credit card. And we, we see this credit card as a very magic thing that gives us everything we want. And we don't think that there, there's an expense to it. But as soon as the bailiffs are knocking at the door of your heart, as soon as the bailiffs are knocking at the front door and, and wanting to come into the lounge, we know that there was an expense to what we've been asking for. As I said, we have this Love Island bug. We love to watch Love Island because it shows people who say they want commitment, but actually they have FOMO. And if you don't know what FOMO is, it means fear of missing out. Now, I've watched a couple of episodes of Love Island, and what I've seen time and time again is a man or a woman declare their undying love for each other, and as soon as someone better looking comes in, guess what? The person they're committed to, bye-bye their dust. We're scared to commit because we think something better might come along. And this happens in our Christian faith. Well, we're scared to commit for, to God because it takes time, energy, effort and change. And what if in committing to God, we miss something that is going to be better for us? We're going to enjoy it more. Well, if we say yes to God, what do we have to say no to? If I say yes to God here, then ultimately I'm going to have to say no to a relationship that could be coming in the future. If I say yes to God here, I'm going to have to say no to that addiction that has sustained me for so long. We have FOMO in church, church. We have this Love Island book. And as I was sitting and writing this message, I started to think, well, who are the predominant people who have this Love Island bug mentality in the church? And I believe a large proportion of lounge dwellers who have this issue of commitment in the church are people who have been brought up in church. And that's me. Because as I've looked at my life, I've seen instances in my life where I have kept God in the lounge because of FOMO. You see, what you find with people who've been brought up in the church from little children is they never really, for a long time, have an experience of Jesus. It's just what they do. They piggyback, including myself, on the faith of mum or dad or nan and granddad who had a radical experience of God, who had an encounter with Jesus that changed everything in a moment. And you just get the collateral of that experience. And until you start seeking God for yourself, and still you, until you start inviting him into your own life, into your own home, you're only ever piggybacking on the faith of someone else. And it's really, really easy not to want the commitment of God because you just think you get it because you come to a service or you go to Sunday school or you go to youth church. And we get caught in this mentality of thinking we can have all the benefits but don't have to worry about commitment. You see, what we want, church, is we want the kingdom benefits without submitting to the king. 
We want all the thing that God offers. We want the healing. We want the grace. We want the mercy. Goodness me, we want the spiritual prosperity. But we don't want to have to do anything for it. And as I said, it's really, really easy for church kids. And when I say church kids, you could be 75 years old in the building or watching online this morning. It's really easy for church kids to slip into this mentality. But the irony is church is when you commit to Jesus, FOMO completely disappears. Jesus, when he's talking about the things we worry about in Matthew 6, he's talking about worrying about what we're going to wear. And, you know, to a first century ear, that might have just been a pair of trousers. To a 21st century ear, it might be, well, whether your hoodie's branded by Nike or Ralph Lauren or Tommy Hilfiger. He's talking about what you're, worrying, what, what you're going to wear, worrying about what you're going to eat. Oh, I'm going to have to eat Aldi chicken instead of Chicken George again this week. I'm going to worry about this and I'm going to worry about that. But there's this beautiful verse in Matthew 6.33. It says, guys, listen, get this. It's important. When you worry about committing to God, when you make that your focus, if you seek after God and his righteousness, don't worry about everything else. It will fall into place. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus said, and everything else will be added after. See, we got it mixed up. We want all the afters without the commitment. And if we just get the point that when we commit to Jesus and we go a little bit deeper with him, that the things we worried about so often become non-entities. They don't matter anymore. So we can really keep God in the lounge, pull that armchair in front of all the other doors in our lives because of commitment issues. The second issue I think we have in keeping God in the lounge is insecurity issues. And I think so often that we get insecure when we come face to face with God because when we have different to commitment phobic Christians who maybe haven't had a revelation of God for a while or maybe at all, insecure Christians usually have had an amazing encounter with God, a revelation from God, maybe a dramatic sort of Damascus Road experience where everything changes in an instance. But as you look through the Bible, you see insecure Christians are often the ones who have those amazing encounters because when you have the encounter, all your failures, your faults, your inadequacies are flagged up. You see this in the Bible with Moses at the burning bush. Amazing physical encounter. He takes off his shoes because he realises in the holy place of God, God speaks to him audibly. And this is what God says, Moses, I want you to do this. The first thing Moses said, can't do that, God, not me, God. What, me, God? Are you sure, God? I can't speak, God. We see it with Gideon in the wine press. Gideon, I am going to anoint you. I am going to appoint you to lead your people into new victories. What, God? Me, God? No, God. I'm the weakest, God. We see it time and time again. We see it with the Apostle Paul. I am the chief of sinners, Paul says. And when we have this amazing encounter revelation of God, oftentimes our insecurities will be flagged up. So insecure lounge dwellers have often had a fresh revelation of God or had an opportunity come from God that can sense his fingertips on. Now, I'm not just talking about people who have those amazing encounters with God that, that are audible. I'm also talking about the opportunities that will come in your life every single day that you can feel God breathing on. And it might be a job offer. It might be uh, an invitation into a new relationship. It might be just a decision you are making, but you can just feel God's hands on it and you step back because you think, I am so not qualified for this. Now, looking around in this building, everyone is wearing a mask. This is something that we have been completely used to now for 18 months. Uh, you know, 18 months ago, we see someone wearing a mask. We are running away because we think that they're going to rob us, okay? But mask wearing has just become so normal. It's become an every part, uh, everyday part of our reality, in our shops, in our workplaces. We are all wearing masks. But I want to pose the point that I believe some of us have been wearing a mask to God for years. 
Some of us, although we've been doing it for 18 months now, have been wearing a mask to church for 18 to 20 years. Just like being in the lounge, we put on this front face, we close all the other doors, we kick out all the rubbish, we shut them fast, we lock the doors and we show people what we want them to see. Why? Because we want people to think we're someone we're not. We don't feel good enough, we don't feel holy enough, we don't feel equipped enough. And when God calls us and he asks us, or an opportunity comes in our life that God is breathing on, the first thing we do is back off and say, that's not me. I might look the part, I might sound the part, but that is a well-constructed version of me. Church, when it comes to God, the mask has got to go. Right thing to do at the moment in COVID times, wearing a mask, it protects each other, it protects ourselves. But when it comes to God, the mask has got to go. You've got to rip it off. I'm not talking about a little face covering here. I'm talking about whole new identities we portray ourselves to God because we think God has made a mistake. Do you know what? This has never happened. God has never called in all his archangels in heaven and got his head in his hands and looked at them and said, guys, I've made a mistake. You see, I went down to Lars Joyner's house and I appointed him to be a worship leader. And actually, it was Liam Joyner I was meant to go to. I completely misread the script. The Holy Spirit is gone and he's called Lars and he's breathed on him, he's commissioned him and he's prayed for him, but he has made a mistake. Goodness me, please put it on the list of the angels. We're going to need extra grace here. We're going to need extra favour here. Where's the angel of auto-tuning? We're going to need to send him really, really quick. That doesn't happen. See, Lars is appointed to do what he does. God doesn't make mistakes. Trust church that God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. And this is a problem when we keep God boxed up and we keep him in the lounge. We think we know ourselves better than God. How ridiculous is that? And hearing audibly, you think, well, that's stupid. But your lives will demonstrate that that's exactly what you think. But when you do think it, I want you to remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 1.27. He says, God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He used the cross to save humanity, a torture object. He used the most ridiculous, obscene, offensive thing in the world at the time to save humanity. So if you're feeling a little bit down about yourself, don't worry, God knows what he's doing. Don't worry, you are equipped to do what you have called to do. He will not call you to something he won't equip you for. Just like Gideon, just like Moses, just like King David, the shepherd boy. He has equipped you and he has called you uniquely. It's not just for the people on the stage. It's not just for the famous evangelists or the professional Christians. God has equipped and called each and every one of you. And when you boil down to it, you might think you're the only one who feels this way, but actually all of us feel this way. All of us get, get this sense of an imposter syndrome. And I'm working on a message at the moment all around imposter syndrome because it's something that has marked my ministry since day dot. And I'm sure if we get honest about ourselves and we look at our walks with God and in the world, all of us get this touch of imposter syndrome. You see, your insecurity doesn't disqualify you. It's actually an invitation for God to work majestically through you. God wants to use the foolish things to shame the wise. He wants to use the things that are written off and wrote off and pulled out in the dust and the dirt. He wants to use us if we will just make ourselves willing. doesn't need eloquence. Moses had a stutter. He doesn't need strength. Gideon couldn't lift a sword. All he needs is obedience. And when we get this church, we start to allow God deeper into our lives. We pull the armchair away from the door. And the next room we allow God in, into our lives, is the kitchen or the kitchen diner. Okay? And of course, the kitchen needs no explanation. We know what we do in a kitchen. We cook and we prepare and we get food ready. And in the dining room, of course, we eat it. 
And you will know from the various TV programs that have aired on Sky channels over the years that you are what you eat. If you live on McDonald's, you're probably not going to be very healthy. I know there's two people, I won't call out their names and embarrass them, there's two people in the room who've recently, in the past year, 18 months, have, have stopped eating meat and gone vegan and vegetarian because they want to improve the quality of their life and their health because they know you are what you eat. Well, you know what is true physically is absolutely the same spiritually as well. And Jesus talking to the Pharisees about this and his followers uh, and they, they, they had all these laws at the time about what you could eat and what you couldn't eat. Uh, and it wasn't anything to do about health. It was about what's clean or what's seen as clean and unclean. And Jesus is looking at them and he's, and he's sort of smacking his head and thinking, guys, you, you've missed this. You see, it's not that stuff that goes into your mouth that makes you clean or unclean. It's not the things that, that are going into your life that makes your soul, your spirit, your outlook and your character unclean. It's the things that come out of you. It's the things that come out of the heart. It's the things that are prepared in the kitchen of the heart that determine whether you are clean or unclean, whether you are close to God or far away from God. And what we daily consume, church, dictates the quality and the health of our spiritual life. What we allow our soul to feed on. We know, don't we, that Jesus said, man doesn't live on bread alone. Jesus said, it is my food to do the will of God in John 4. This is exactly the same for us. It wasn't just reserved for Jesus. What we put into our lives, what we consume daily with our minds, our hearts, our souls and our spirits, this is what determines how far God comes into the home of the heart. And I want to ask you, church, where are you getting your daily dialect from at the minute? And we look at the Old Testament scriptures, don't we? And we really read these scriptures about the Israelites constantly messing it up and constantly getting it wrong. And we see the wooden idols and the golden bulls and the Asherah poles and the sacrifice animals. And I'm sure you, like me, have read that and thought, how ridiculous are these people? God is literally there telling them to come to me. And you're making wooden gods and you're making golden calves and you're putting up poles and worshipping those. How ridiculous is that? And actually, much of us fall for exactly the same trap today. You see, Asherah poles, golden calves, wooden gods, they're just yesterday's Netflix or streaming platform. They're yesterday's work addictions. They're yesterday's relationships, social medias and hobbies. So much of our lives, church, are dictated by some of the things on this list. And of course, the list is endless. Maybe your daily diet is one of unforgiveness. You just can't get past something that happened to you 5, 10, 15 years ago. And you sit on it and you stew on it. And what you don't realise, it is shaping your soul, your character, your attitude and your outlook. We know we need to get more in the word of God. We know we need to allow God into the kitchen of our lives to help prepare and, uh, and sort out what we're eating. You see, when I invite people over to the lounge of my life and we have a coffee, usually it's a half an hour or an hour. When I'm inviting people to come over for something to eat, I'm giving them a whole evening and I'm usually allowing them to dictate what's going to be on the menu. If Robin doesn't eat fish and I've invited Robin over to my house, fish isn't going to be on the menu. If Chris doesn't like red meat, well, when Chris comes over, we're going to have chicken because he doesn't eat red meat. You see, when you allow people into the kitchen of the home of the heart, you are allowing them to, to help shape and define the decisions that you make. You see, when we allow God into the kitchen of the home of the heart, what we are doing is we are allowing him input into the choices and the decisions we make day by day. When we allow him into the home of the heart, the, the kitchen, we are allowing him to shape our diet. And as I said, Jesus said himself that the word of God is like food for our soul. 
And I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up if you're in the room or anything like that, but when is the last time that you went and had a real serious meal in the Word of God alone? Now, some of you, you might be thinking, well, actually, it was this morning. I had a good 15, 20 minutes. Well, that's fantastic. Maybe some of you are thinking, oh, it was three, four days ago. Maybe some of you are thinking, I can't even remember the last time I picked my Bible up. But it's okay. It's okay because I've come to church every week. And my Bible actually comes from you, Mike, or you, Becky, or my Bible comes from T.D. Jakes or Brian Houston or John MacArthur or whoever is your go-to amazing spiritual guru. And that is fine and that is okay. And I preached a message probably last year now when I said listening to preaching and podcasts is absolutely fantastic and there are men and women gifted by God to teach and preach the word of God. But that should always just be a supplement to your diet and not a substitute. Every single morning, I have a little tablet, completely legal, by the way. It's called a Centrum Multivitamin. I take every single morning. And in big, bold letters on the back, it says, this is not a substitute for a healthy diet. This is a food supplement. And so often, we think we can take away our food for our soul. We can, we can order it in. We can deliver our spiritual life, our spiritual word. We don't have to open the Bible ourselves. And you know what? I absolutely love listening to podcasts uh, and different preachers. As a preacher myself, I, I get so much insight from different men and women of God. One of my favourites is this guy here. He's a guy called John Mark Comer. And he resides in a place called Portland in the United States. Absolutely phenomenal man of God. Apologies. Thanks, Beck. He's absolutely phenomenal. Some of the things he pulls out of scripture, I would just never see. But if I am allowing my whole spiritual diet and war to be prepared by John Mark Comer, all I'm doing is buying into a takeaway service. And takeaway is absolutely good once a week. But if you were living on Chicken George every day, it might taste good, it might look good, but it's not going to make you feel good and it's going to be a heck of a lot more expensive than preparing fresh fruit. See, what God wants to do, he wants to come into your life himself, he wants to come into your kitchen and help you prepare food. And I am not against, as I said, listening to any sorts of different preachers, John MacArthur, John Mark Comer, T.D. Jakes, some of the guys that I dip into and listen to. But it cannot substitute, firstly, it's two-pronged, firstly, the word of God for yourself, absolutely imperative. And secondly, good Christian community in a local church, whether that be here or whether that be online. And what we want to do when we go online... What our hope is, is not just to stream what's happening in the building, it's to build fellowship and community with people who can't get to the building. And and you know what? As much as you might love or hate my preaching, it is so important you are here in community with believers. I've said it before, when God is talking to the church in the New Testament, it's always understood that he's not talking to people singularly, he's talking to them corporately. I'm sure Roy's picked up on this in an academy before. You see, We read the Bible with our 21st century eyes and ears that God is speaking directly to me. And some of the most misquoted verses that we put on coffee mugs and posters, like Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, really well, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and give you hope in the future. We take that as our promises, which is okay to a point, but it was never written to a person, it was written to a people. And much of these verses we claim as our own and we speak over ourselves. It's good to a point, but it was always done with a view that God was speaking to a community and not a person. So only very few instances in the Bible where God is speaking to a person. We see that with Moses, with the prophets. But when he's speaking to the Christian community, he's often speaking to a church corporately. You can never get what you can get in a local church zooming into someone in Australia or the United States. Really, really good supplement, absolutely horrible substitute. 
Supplement your faith. Learn more, grow more, but do not neglect community in the process. You will know these guys, Joe Wicks, came obviously very famous last year. We know he was quite well known anyway. And the Naked Chef, I said naked on, in church, apologies. The Naked Chef, Jamie Oliver. See, what these guys do, their job, Joe Wicks is, is to help us develop muscle, is to, to, to help us grow healthier, to, to grow fitter physically. Jamie Oliver, is to, he, he puts out these diet books to help us have a well-rounded, healthy diet that, that brings in the healthy fats, that brings in all the proteins and the carbohydrates we need. But what you can't do is when you are watching these people prepare their recipes online, preparing their plans online. You will not get the benefits of what they're doing if you were just sitting consuming the content they're putting out. You see, their hope as a, a dietitian, Jamie Oliver as a chef, and Joe Wicks as a personal trainer is to help you get up and do what they are demonstrating. And this is exactly the same with a preacher or a teacher. I absolutely believe that God has gifted me to preach the word. I'm not here at LCF just because the elders wanted me to come. I don't stick around here at LCF because I get compliments on a sermon every now and again. I am here at LCF as a preacher and pastor because I believe that God has called me to teach and preach the word here at 101 Castle Street. But if I am preaching to you till I'm blue in the face and you never do anything with it, you are not going to change. And the whole point of sermons, teaching, and I'm talking to myself here as much as you, is that we would change more into the likeness of Jesus, who is our saviour, the author and perfecter of our faith. So we have just dipped in a little bit downstairs now in the home of the heart. I wonder if the band could come back as a wrap up. Whistle stop tour for the home of the heart. And I wonder as I'm speaking, if God has begun to prod something in your life, as he's opened up the front door, you know really famously, don't you, that verse in Revelation 3.20, where it says, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Well, maybe you've let him in the front door, but have you kept him in the hallway? And again, I've said this to you time and time again, this verse wasn't to an unbelieving people. This verse was actually given to a church. Jesus is standing at the door of the church and knocking. Maybe he is standing at the lounge of the heart this morning and he's knocking just to come into the lounge because you've kept him in the hallway. Maybe Jesus is already in the lounge, but he's standing at the door of the kitchen saying, you know, we've had enough coffees now. We're going to get headaches the amount of caffeine we have consumed. Let me into the kitchen. I don't just want to spend half an hour here or an hour there. I want to come and spend an evening with you. I want to develop your diet. I want to help you and help you grow healthier and stronger in the word of God. Where is God situated at the minute in the home of your heart? As I said, is he at the front door? Is he in the hallway? Is he in the lounge? Is he in the kitchen? Did a quick whistle-stop tour this morning of the downstairs of the home of the heart. And next week, we're going to take a trip upstairs because some of us have got that diet down. We are starting to consume the things that God wants us to do in our lives. When we are making choices and we're entering into situations, God is at the forefront of what we are doing. But I believe God wants to go deeper than just the kitchen. We see, don't we, with a Shunammite woman, she didn't just invite Elisha over for some food. She bypassed the lounge straight away. She recognised that he carried the presence of God and wanted him to come and permeate her house with that. Bypass the lounge, get straight in the kitchen. But she went beyond that. This guy said to her husband, I sense that he's a man of God. Let's not just have him in our kitchen. Let's let him stay the night. Let's prepare a guest room. And that's where we're going to go next week. I wonder if we stand as the band begin to pray, play, and I'm going to just pray for you. Lord Jesus, I pray as we've used this silly metaphor this morning, looking at the home of the heart, 
that you would begin to impress upon us something, God, that, that wants us to conform more into the likeness of you. Maybe we've been church kids, church goers for generations, 20, 30, 40 years, some of us, but we've kept you boxed into an area of our lives. I pray, God, if you were standing at the door and knocking, let us open our ears, our hearts, our minds to crack open that door. God, as we are allowing you into our kitchen, maybe you're starting to point out ingredients and recipes we don't think we would like, but God, I ask you to help us take that, God to go into it you know church it's really funny my children if they could they would live on happy meals chicken nuggets chips for Asa and Ida cheeseburger and chips for Judah Fanta Coke fruit shoot really really easy we never have that panic at the the takeaway we know exactly what we're getting when we get in there and do you know the hassle it is to try and get them to eat something a little bit different I don't like that dad I don't like that dad but you've never tasted it no, 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 I don't like that, Dad. I don't like that. I'll taste it. No, no, no. If you taste it, I'll give you an ice cream. Okay, I'll taste it. I'll taste it. Oh, Dad, it's really good. I know. Taste it a little bit. Dad, can I have some more? Exactly the same in the kitchen of the home of the heart. We listen to God in some of it, or God wants to give us this little treat this week, so a happy meal. But actually, why don't you throw a bit of asparagus in there? Oh, God, that's disgusting. Asparagus? No. Oh, God, actually, it's pretty good. God, if that is us this morning and you're, you're telling us to dip our toe into something new, a new experience, a new opportunity, give us the courage, the audacity, even if you have to bribe us with an ice cream, God, get us to take it up, Father. Help us prepare recipes in our life, our choice, our decisions. We give it over to you right now. Amen. Amen. Let's worship.